Our reading tonight is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. In this small snapshot, we're going to see God's, God's heart for his people, his deep desire for them to know how much he loves them, how much he cares for them, no matter what situation they're in. So from verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. That was beautifully beautifully read. Thank you, Stephen. As I begin tonight, uh, I wanted to encourage those who are listening uh, that this passage here, and we're, we're going we're to go through it in slower detail, this passage here will help to show and to, to give purpose to anyone that's going through suffering or trials, difficulties in this room. It's been a, an amazing revelation for me to, to be able to see how the Lord is able to use the trials and the sufferings that we go through, the difficulties, the, the moments of loneliness, the moments of depression, feeling anxious to actually be an encouragement to a brother and sister. And so I, I really wanted to encourage you that this is a, a passage that could be useful for you, not only just for tonight, for the next week, but it's something that you can apply to be a blessing in your church community, in your family, for all of eternity as you apply it. And so as we maybe read, um, I'll just quickly glean from Acts chapter 9, verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And as we reflect on our persecuted brothers and sisters, I wanted to remind you that when Jesus says this in this passage, he says, you are persecuting me. He's Paul's on a road to Damascus to persecute Christians in Damascus, but Jesus identifies with those very people that are going to face affliction. But in the face of affliction, Jesus actually laughs at 
at that because he gives him revelation. He transforms his heart. So I, I want to tell you that these stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters are not stories of despair, but they're stories of victory. And this is how we can be encouraged. Lord, the Lord Jesus identifies with them. And so I wanted to maybe answer a couple of questions as we move through this. It says, what does it look like to be a spirit-filled witness suffering for Jesus? And how does that influence the relationship we have towards our blessed and persecuted brothers and sisters? I know it's a, a bit of a chunk of a question. How does the persecuted church in that aspect minister to you and therefore become God's gift to you? And what is our role as the body of Christ here? How is our role played out in response to this message? As we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians, it's important for us to understand where Paul is coming from before he writes uh, to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 1. And not to go too far, far into it, but the Corinthian church as a people group, they were having difficulties. They had a, a problem with Paul. And one of their major problems was, was that they couldn't understand why a man of God why someone who is blessed and called as a servant of God was going through suffering. They couldn't understand why he was always weak, why he was always going through some sort of trial. It's almost as if he had a curse on his life rather than a blessing. It's almost as if he was possibly not called by God, but just making it all up. But this is the wrestle that Paul has to this church to say that I'm called by God, but also to suffer for him for your benefit, for your blessing. And, and so as this church had a problem with Paul, they also had the problem with the Jesus that he was preaching. Paul started to look too much like the Jesus he was actually proclaiming to them, too much like the suffering servant too much like the one that hung on the cross and didn't do anything to his enemies when, he's, when they were hurling insults at him or they spat at him. He was looking too much like that and they couldn't understand it. They were after wisdom. They were after prestige. They honored the people who spoke well, who were spoken well of. They honored the people that had you know, the, the VIP passes, the ones that are on TV, the possibly for our day we can make it relevant, the Joe Rogans, the Jordan Petersons, the ones that everyone esteems, everyone's to get a, a signature from. Those are the Corinthian church's mentality and attitude towards the gospel, towards a servant of the gospel. And so this is where we start our passage off and if you wanted to glean from that context, it's from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 4. So that big chunk will give you a bit of a highlight. I wanted to maybe give you an analogy of an English, old English torture that they used to actually use, and it will be relevant for <laughs> this passage as well. They used to lie the victim or the person down flat on the floor in public, and they would 
one by one, slowly by slowly, get them to renounce whatever they were trying to get them to, uh, to force some conviction, some confession out of them. But one by one, they would lay a brick on this person lying down. One brick at a time. One brick at a time. And slowly by slowly, you can't exhale or inhale properly anymore. And it's a slow torture of suffocation. That will be relevant for the type of suffering Paul is talking about here. But as we go through our passage, we're able to see how the Lord wants to overcome some of the burdens that some people are carrying here tonight by being a blessing in community. Oh, there we go. So we read from our text. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, God in Corinth, together with all of his holy saints in Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be our God and Father of Christ. The theme here, the ones that are highlighted in red, it first starts off knowing Paul's calling. It's by the will of God. By the will of God, there is grace to be able to fulfill that mission and to be able to see his blessing in it. And so this, he writes this theme in correlation of going through his suffering. He's suffering for the church under the will of God. As we said, the, the Corinthian church were chasing teachers that were wise and uh, had all sorts of um, uh, elevated status. But he calls himself uh, something that he's going through in trial. At one point, he receives 39 lashes five times by the Jews. At one point, Paul is shipwrecked in open water, in open sea, with only maybe a board to hang on for a day and a night, constantly hungering and thirsting by the will of God. By the will of God, he's able to receive grace and peace. And when we read that word grace and peace to you, it's not so much like these types of signs, um, you know, grace and peace to you, uh, everyone be merry, but it's actually grace to you and peace. What that actually means is that we, we receive the grace from the Lord and therefore through that grace that the Lord is able to extend to us, we have peace with our God, carrying through the trials. And then it's significant that he opens up um, the verse in, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us, sorry, the God of all comfort. The blessing of God comes with the God of all comfort. There's no exclusions here. And, I, and I'm thank you that Paul, and I'm thankful that Paul generalizes this statement. He doesn't give any specification for what type of suffering or trial. It says that He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. 
He could have mentioned one of the trials that he went through. He could have mentioned one of the difficulties you have gone through. But he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. The significant part that follows now is the purpose of the difficulty or the suffering that we may be going through. He says, so that. He gives reason to, he gives purpose to the trouble, the difficulty he's actually going through. So that we are able to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive. That word is, uh, the verse is a bit of a word salad. I know comfort is mentioned and it may put an image of your mind of some pat on the back, <laughs> friendly, you know, it's, it's going to be okay, mate. You know, I hope you're doing well. The word is actually translated as the word periclesis. Periclesis, when Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father in John 14, and he will send you the great comforter. The word is actually translated as strengthening, encouragement, exhortation. It actually means intercessor. I'm going to send you the great intercessor to stand with you, to build you up in your trials, in your difficulties. In Latin, it's actually fortifying, strengthening. And so we see, as Paul is trying to write, when we break it down, he's actually trying to give purpose to the difficulty you're having. But I wanted to ask you this question. When you read that, so that, who is someone that you are able to be a blessing to where God has been faithful to you in your trial? in your difficulty. It says so that we can comfort those in any affliction um, that we ourselves receive from God, meaning that if you have a friend that is going through some sort of depression, financial difficulty, it's meant for us when we were going through our trial to remember how God ministered to us faithfully through the worship team faithfully through reading his word or someone being there to comfort us. But being that same blessing in that same situation, it gives purpose to our trial and meaning for us to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus in that difficulty. I'm going to shock some of you as well because it, <laughs> it actually also means that your suffering is not only for you. It's actually meant to extend beyond you. It's actually meant for a deeper and a, and a bigger cause. And this is what Paul exactly is trying to write. As he's going through his trials, he's looking to grow and strengthen the church with this. As Pastor Rod may be suffering with some sort of uh, illness in his time of ministering, it's at a, at a point where he's able to say, Lord God, if you do not take this away, give me the wisdom to be able to see how I can see your blessing in this and be faithful to minister that grace that you have shown me, that comfort you have shown me in my trial to bless the congregation. And many times I can imagine you've preached a, a sermon or a reflection that has been something from the heart that has blessed others in their difficulty. 
I wanted to give you a real life example, a face to this type of trial. And it's a brother that is actually 13 years old. He's now around about 18 in northern Nigeria. As we spoke about the constant threat of persecution, Nigeria is actually known as the top 10 most persecuted countries in the world, where Christians actually on a daily average too sometimes die for their faith. Uh, there's many widows in northern Nigeria. There's many that have had uh, limbs cut off because of the demonic uh, proclamation of Islam. This is in the context that I want to tell you Dan Druma's story. 6 a.m. in the morning, he heard gunshots while he was in his house, and the villagers fled to the forest areas where they would try and get away from this 1,000 militant strong Islamic group called Boko Haram. And unfortunately, Dan Druma didn't get away. Uh, he was actually held captive. They proceeded to cut out as you can see, his right eye. Uh, they nearly got his right left eye, but they damaged that nerve. He actually has retinal damage. He's blind in both eyes. He needs someone to guide him. They cut through his left arm, and they proceeded to castrate him as well. Um, so what that looks like is, obviously, for uh, his private parts, you can see the catheter that he has there uh, standing next to his mom. That's actually for his um, urine production. And so you can imagine what this would do to his future, right? Dan Druma was actually thought of as dead in his village until uh, his, his, uh, the villagers actually proceeded to dig a grave for him until they heard his cries when they were bringing him towards that. As soon as they noticed he was still alive, they took him to the local hospital. <laughs> He's actually known as the miracle in his community uh, because the amount of blood that he actually lost, he should have never have survived. Uh, but I don't want to focus too much on the trauma and uh, his mom that is grieving. Uh, we were able to support them, praise God, with intervention. But I want to more focus on his response to this type of behavior. Uh, this is what he says in his testimony. I forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. If they had any love, they would not behave this way. I do not feel any burden. I have allowed God to handle everything. When he's asked about how he would be in encouragement through his testimony, how he would encourage those uh, who are going through, who are young, who are going through difficulty forgiving, or trusting in God, hearing these stories, he says this to them. If they find themselves in such a situation, they should embrace God, he said, still smiling. Look at that beautiful smile. They should believe that God who created us knows everything about us, so that let's be faithful and let's be kind. The way I find myself today, only God knows, the reason I'm supposed to be, you should embrace God and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. This is a 13-year-old boy who have just had his life turned upside down. But this is his response. This is what Paul is talking about, being a spirit-filled 
believer, a spirit-filled witness, one that comes in weakness but is able to show and magnify the glory of what God does in someone that is willing to be used by him. And it doesn't actually end there. This is another brother that served in Sudan. Dan Juma is someone that was actually put on Peter Yasik's mind while he was imprisoned with terrorists. You can imagine he's cleaning toilets with his hands, washing their laundry. This is some of the things that they made him do. Um, you know, hardly ever sleeping because they would kick him while he was sleeping. They're constantly reciting the Quran in four or five, I don't know, it's beautiful when someone sings in a single tone and harmony, isn't it? But how much suffering would that do to your mind if someone's reciting in a room four different tones of one Quran while they're also ridiculing you and making you their slave? While Peter Yasik found no peace in that situation and struggling to find God's purpose in his imprisonment, God put Dan Druma on his mind to pray for him, to be an encouragement to him in his sufferings, to remember what God can do in the worst circumstances by a heart that is willing to be used. And so this book is written. Uh, it's going to be a blessing for you if anyone wants to read it. But I just wanted to encourage you that as we reflect and read this passage, it's that remembering the persecuted brothers and sisters is knowing the testimonies of victory they have over the darkest evil and how that can be a blessing and an encouragement like it was to Peter Yasik. He was supposed to be in prison for four, I mean, he was supposed to be in Sudan for four days as a medical officer, ended up in prison for 445 days. But the Lord did amazing things, and I want that to be an encouragement to you. We are able to comfort, build up, strengthen those who are going through any kinds of suffering when we're able to proclaim God's faithfulness. In fact, the scripture goes on to say this, and it's a hypothetical. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort or strengthening, and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Again, the blessing of passing on a testimony, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we ourselves suffer. That word patient endurance, there is this blessing for you, church. Some of us are struggling to see how our future is going to be when we potentially face persecution. Maybe some are going back to home countries where Christian, uh, Christianity is banned. There's no freedom for practicing our faith. Knowing these testimonies, being encouraged by them of what God is doing, God is faithful in every situation. This is able to produce in you patient endurance. The same patient Endurance, Romans 5.3 talks about when we are afflicted, it's able to produce patient endurance and therefore build character in us. This is what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. And so as we 
maybe leave with some of these challenges. I, I just wanted to challenge you. How would you respond to this over the next week? Who is hurting in your circles that can, you could be a comfort of? You can reach out and share God's faithfulness, or maybe you're someone that needs to be strengthened or encouraged in your trial and no one understands, or maybe you're suffering it alone and you've got no one to speak to, I would encourage you that this scripture is how we should do church, being vulnerable to each other, being coming to each other in fellowship in weakness, not trying to cover up stuff. That is exactly what the world does, and that is exactly what Paul is trying to correct. It's coming to each other, trusting, being vulnerable, and and being more Christ-like, being spirit-filled. And so I wanted to to leave you with that, and I'll maybe pray. uh, If a couple of people wanted to pray afterwards as well, I'm not sure if that's appropriate if you feel led. But uh, let's um, just exalt the Lord. God, I thank you that it stands true, your word stands true, that you are faithful in any circumstance. You are faithful in any season, any difficulty that we are going through and that we can imagine Um, You know, our brothers and sisters who are in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in China, and some of them have lost husbands. Some of them are imprisoned and they don't know where their family is. They're uh, misplaced. Some women are are, are kidnapped and some horrible things too uh, are going to be done to them. But we thank you, Lord God, that your word rings true, that you are able to deliver them from every demonic force. It may not be exactly what we look like but we just pray that as we read these testimonies as we uh, pray more into knowing and wanting to know your faithfulness we are able to be an encouragement to brothers and sisters who don't know you yet we're able to uh, draw into deeper fellowship more genuine fellowship with the circles that you have placed us in in our churches in our communities in our family settings. Lord God, I I pray that every believer here would experience some sort of testimony in their life where they're able to to hold something in, in whatever circumstance they're going into that would be able to bless someone else and therefore be an encouragement themselves. Lord, we we thank you for the the young army, the prayer warriors that you have gathered here tonight, ones from many different backgrounds, cultures, talent. Lord, we we thank you for the army that you are raising up in Wollongong to be light and salt, to be witnesses, faithful witnesses, spirit-filled believers of you, to give hope to this dark world that knows no forgiveness. Lord, help, to, help us to be challenged, and we, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.